Thank you, Brother Matt. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark? Um, the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look at chapter 3, talk about the church family. There's a couple of verses here that I would like to read. There's a lot more detail about these events in the Gospel of Matthew, but they're spread out over a longer passage. And I wanted to share, as the Lord laid on my heart, the importance of the church family and this very unique event in the life of Jesus uh, in his early ministry. So we're going to take a look in chapter 3 of Mark in verse 21. Um, well, we could, we could look at verse 20. Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again. So they were not even able to eat. And then verse 21, when his family heard this, they sent out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. That's an interesting verse. Then drop down with me to verse 31. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. But Jesus replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we live in a world that does not value family anymore. At least the kind of family that is portrayed in the Bible, the Christian family. The, one who pray, the family that prays together, the family that lifts up the name of Jesus, the family that loves God and loves people and seeks to serve others. Not only are, is our Christian faith, faith under attack, but also our Christian family. And we need to be able to stand and remember and understand our call to be servants of Jesus. And this is not only true in our own personal Christian families, but it's also true in our church family. And as we've already heard, there are children and teenagers and others who were abused verbally and physically. And the tragedy is that we don't stand and be careful and vigilant to help other people know that this sin is going on and to uh, confront it with grace and kindness and love, but ask God to help us in being the kind of family, Christian family, but also the church family that becomes a lighthouse to the world, that testifies to our faith, that points out that there is hope and encouragement and love in Jesus Christ, and that we are called not only to be believers in Jesus, but part of God's family. And we thank you so much for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, traditionally, the week or so or around Mother's Day is called the Christian Home Week in the Southern Baptist Convention. And what that means 
is that pastors get up before they preach the traditional Mother's Day message. They preach about the Christian home and the Christian family. And the interesting thing is that Southern Baptists, uh, if you read the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is our standard for pretty much, or our statement of faith, have a sense of the family as an important part of the life of the Christian. And there have been many people who've attacked it in the media, in the news, and say that we're old-fashioned, we want to bring back 1950s life, Ozzie and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver, and those kinds of shows, and that's our goal and that's what we're looking to. But that's not true. What we're looking to is to be a Christian family. And it's important to talk about how to be a Christian family, especially in today's uh, world, because the Christian family is not the norm. All kinds of other ideas are presented as what means, what it makes to be a family. Attitudes and values that, when you look at them carefully, turn the view away from our Christian faith and Jesus as our Savior to some kind of self-centeredness or ego persuasion that says we're important, we're more important, and the family can be anything we choose it to be or define it to be, especially without looking at what God intended for it to be. This has really important ramifications, I think, in our society and in our world because if Jesus was charged by the scribes and the Pharisees by casting out demons and bad spirits through the power of Satan, if that's true, then the Christian family really isn't good. But if it isn't true, and it isn't true, Jesus is casting out everything that is detrimental, problematic, sinful, and seeks to destroy families and people. If that's true, and that is true, then the Christian family becomes, or ought to become, a model, a way of looking at life through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find out this is what Jesus is saying here in this passage. So if you're following me, what I'm trying to say is that not only do we need to be individual believers... We have the responsibility to be part of the family of God. And in our own families, we have the responsibility to live godly lives that exalt Jesus Christ, that lift up our Savior, that show people what grace in the gospel is and the mercy of forgiveness of Jesus. And as Brother Matt shared with us, 90% of those who, uh, what is it, those who are abused knew the person, partly maybe even part of their families. And that's the sad thing. We have not figured out what it means to be a Christian family because we haven't always figured out what it means to be part of the family of God. And see, that's a further point. Churches are turning away from really being the family of God to being some kind of self-centered, you're okay, just be, come as you are. That doesn't mean what clothes you have, but your mental attitudes and your ideas, and you can come and be part of the church. 
And the church has lost its, its, its ability to be prophetic, to, be, to take a stand about what is right and what is wrong. If there is no sin in the world, and that's exactly what all of these really weird things that are going on, somebody wants to marry their computer. I can't believe it. And, and I won't go into all kinds of crazy, nutty things that are out there that pass for families or whatever people are doing. But if the church doesn't lift up what it means to be a family, individually in our families and corporately together, then how will the world know what it means to live as disciples of Jesus Christ? Now this has two implications that are very important. It means that we live our faith out in the world in the context of where we work, where we play, what we do, but we do it as a Christian family. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing, and by the way, that first one is very important because it means we learn how to be a good family together. And, and, and the point is that probably we haven't learned how to be a part of a good family. But the second thing is the Christian, the church family desperately needs to be the church family in a way that honors Jesus Christ because it's connected. If you're part of a bad family, but you come to know Christ, you become part of his family and you begin to learn what it really means to be a family in God. Then you're able to go back to that family that you're part of and live a life that honors him without being caught up in the way things that bad family may have been. There are two days of the year that it's hard to preach on. One is Mother's Day and another is Father's Day. And it becomes increasingly harder to preach on because we have bad mothers and we have bad fathers at times. Well, we have good mothers and good fathers, true, but the world out there doesn't know what it means to be a good mother or a, a good father. They have no model, they have no example, because all they're doing is listening to the media to the talk shows, all those that opine that everybody ought to just love each other and get along and never rock the boat. Where in God's family, we know how to love each other even though we may disagree. Do you remember those rules for a good fight that I talked about? That's done in the context of a family. How do we show unconditional love like Jesus showed us on the cross to our family, our children, our spouses, that, that throws away our self-centeredness and our selfishness and seeks the best for them in loving them unconditionally. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And Jesus explains to us how to do this. And that's what I want to do today is preparatory to next Sunday and Mother's Day and then Father's Day because that's going to follow along and talk about what we can do in terms of being good families and the kind of family that honors Jesus Christ and God the Father. So there's just two points here that we're gonna look at, the family of Jesus and then the family of God. And it's just a very simple thing that we wanna do. We wanna set up the context of what's going on and then talk about Jesus and what he said because he gave one question and two statements. 
And the last statement is a, is a zinger. It's a very important statement for us to remember. That's all we want to talk about. And then try to make application because we we'll stay faithful to the scriptures, exalt Jesus, and make application. So what does it have to do with me and you? You're sitting here saying, oh gosh, you've got to listen to this guy for another so many minutes. But I want it to be important. I want it to be a life-changing or potentially a learning experience as a Christian believer. So let's dig into this text. And you wouldn't think this is a text about family, but it's all about family. And it's all about Jesus and his family. So Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, has just basically started his public ministry. And he started healing people. And he started making a difference in the life of the people around him in Galilee. And you know what? That created a big hubbub. That was a big ado. Something happening. There's somebody doing this. And you know what happened? He drew crowds. He started drawing crowds and he started ministering. You could read that through in chapter one and chapter two. And you know, when he started ministering, it drew all kinds of people, including the naysayers. And there's two groups of naysayers here. One is the scribes and Pharisees who come up and they accuse Jesus in the beginning of chapter three. Um, they accuse him of being the, the servant of Satan. In other words, Jesus is able to make people whole, cast out bad demons, heal people because he serves Satan. He has an unclean spirit in him. That means he's got a demon too. Now, Jesus is saying that's ridiculous. And he says, how can a house divided against it stand? How can Satan cast out Satan and survive? So obviously, you got it all wrong, scribes. You're wrong. I'm not from Satan. I'm from God. And God has given me this responsibility, this task, this mission to come and offer the knowledge that the good news has come. The kingdom of God is here, and there is hope and healing and encouragement and love in God. And God is here to draw you to himself. If you will come to him, he will offer to you what truly satisfies the soul. And that will come when Jesus dies on the cross. But these people are flocking to him and all of the naysayers are coming and saying, well, he's crazy, he's nuts, he's got a demon. So the very first thing we hear is that there's this controversy and who gets in on the act? Uh, none other than Jesus' family. And in verse 21 we read, when his family heard this, in other words, he went to a house and people were all crushing in on the house and they couldn't eat, there's no room. And his family heard about it and they set out, literally it says there, to restrain him. They were going to call the guys in the white suits with the straight jacket. They wanted to bring him home. He's gone off his rocker. He's nuts. He's crazy. Everybody's saying he's doing these things. This is Jesus. We know him. And it says that his family heard this. They sent out to restrain him because they said, he's loco. He's gone out of his mind. Now, think about that. A family ought to be encouraging <laughs> Right? A family ought to be someone who lifts you up, even if you have crazy ideas or not. 
I used to get in trouble with my mother and father because I'd come up with 25 different things any given day that I might like to do. So I wanted to be a garbage collector. I wanted to be a truck driver. I wanted to be a carpenter, electrician. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just liked all those things. And I say, I'll do this. And they'd think, well, okay. But you know what? They never, well, after teasing me a bit, but they never really did deny me the opportunity to investigate. And that's what a good family does. It encourages, it lifts up, and it, and it encourages others. When we're in a church family, we're called to encourage each other, to see what God is doing in our hearts, to help us to grow, to help us mature faithfully, stronger, deeper. The fact of the matter is, none of us should go around saying, look at me, I've arrived. I'm the most spiritual person in this church. I'm the most mature person in this church. Well, no, we're not. If you're saying that, you're not. We need to be humble, but we need to be doing something that I'll talk about in a few minutes. But the point is, the family is somebody that ought to encourage. Maybe not always understand, but encourage. You would think that Mary would think about this. So in verse uh, 20, uh, 31 uh, through uh, 32, Mary gets in on this act. Verse 31, his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they... They had to send word into him, like, hey, hey, pass the, would you pass the word? He's in there. We can't get to him. We're out here. Would you tell him that we're outside? Whose mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and said, and they told him, said, hey, Jesus, your mom's outside. You got caught. Your mom's out there. Your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. His family's out there. Now, what motive do you think they had? Well, the only motive we know at the minute is they think he's nuts and they want to restrain him. You would think Mary would know this. Mary, the one who was told when he was born that he would be for the rising and the falling of many in Israel. The Mary, the one who saw the angels come, Right? The angel came to her, said, he's going to be Jesus. He's going to be the one who saves his people from, from uh, their sin. Now, notice there's no mention of his father. So maybe Joseph had died by now. We don't know. And we don't know who his brothers or his sisters are. His sisters are only mentioned here. Most of the time, it's Jesus' brothers. Well, there's only a few of them. I think James's name, but very often, we just don't know who they were. We don't know if they followed him. We do know that Mary understood at the, at the cross, finally, what God was doing. But Mary was there complicit, willing to pull him out of that situation, shut him down, take him home, restrain him, and keep him from doing what God had called him to do. And that's what the family of Jesus did. The point, I want, the point I want to make is that, of course, Mary did change their, her mind later. But maybe human families aren't always the most perfect in the world. Maybe sometimes human families get it wrong. And we're all sinful humans, and we're all looking to our own self. Sometimes that selfishness is much higher level than we want to be, but we're all concerned about ourselves. There's a natural point about saying, 
God, who am I? And what do you want me to do? And what should I be? And I want to, to do something. And sometimes that sinful pride takes over and says, I want to be what I want to be. I want to do what I want to do. I want to get everything I can get. And when you get into a family and you got siblings, it's different. And you got a mother and father, and it's different. Um, I love my wife, but she's an only child. <laughs> so when we got married, we had fun because I had siblings you had to share, and you don't always share when you're an only child, right? She didn't mean wrong, and she's not here today, so I'm not trying to talk about her. I mean, she just didn't know that there were borders, like, that's my toothbrush, you don't use that to do something else with, you know, or that's, you know, that's, you know, that's my bowl, that's my, the things that we, we tend to identify as our own, but the family of Jesus didn't quite get it right. They didn't understand what he was doing, and they wanted to stop him. Sometimes families, especially human families, are not always right. How do we react to that? Well, we're going to find out in a minute, but the point would be we have to sometimes grieve over maybe that we didn't have the best families. Maybe our mother, maybe our father, they were struggling with their issues. Maybe they did certain things that we thought were really normal, and then as we get older and as we learn about what God would have us to do, we recognize that's not really the best action. It's not really the best thing to do. And we need to ask God to change us from maybe what we thought was always right and, and to be the way he wants us to be and how he wants us to live. And so when we go to people, because out in the world, if it's 90% of the people who have been abused or are abused by people they know and partly in their family, this is rampant out in the world. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have a meeting about it. But it's out there, and we see it. People are abused, not just physically, but mentally, verbally. They're just abused, all in the name of family. And we need to say there's a better family. There's a more deeper family. There's a family that's connected to God in such a way that God gets glory through our families. And we hold up God's will in our families, moms and dads, you need to be able to say what matters for time and eternity to your kids. I know two families, actually I know three families, but more than that, but three families I want to tell you about. One family took their teenage son and imbued in him the idea that he has to be in that corporate ladder, climbing up that ladder, to make as much money as he can. And the father was vocal in, in just putting down anybody who would choose to serve. You know, don't get this degree because that's just service and that doesn't work. You get this degree because you're going to make that much money and it's going to be better because you're going to grow up that ladder and, and get as many possessions as you can but you know what? Possessions you can't take to the graveyard with you. There's no U-Haulets behind hearses. And the point there was that they misunderstood to tell that son that 
This was, he needed to find what God wanted him to do. Two other families had the same thing. Both these families, their daughters came forward saying, I feel God called me to be a missionary. Neither one became a missionary because their family poo-pawed the idea. And they didn't support them. Well, maybe God didn't really want them to be a missionary. I don't know, but the fact, the fact was that neither of the families helped them to seek God's will. And that's the next part of the story, the family of God. Verses uh, 33 through 35, Jesus, in response to the call of his family to come out so they can put him in a straitjacket and carry him home, he responded in two ways. He asked a question, and then he answered the question. The first question, or the most important question that he asked, in verse 33, he, he replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? Well, gee, Jesus, don't you know who your mother is and your brothers? Well, of course he does. It's a rhetorical question. It's a question that goes to the heart of the matter that God called him to be the Messiah, that God called and ordained for Jesus to preach the good news, that the kingdom of God was at hand. He had done this from the beginning of Mark, as Mark tells us, because this was the will of God in his life. This was his job. This was his responsibility. He was the Messiah, and he was called by God to do this. So he said, well, who are my mother and my brothers? Well, I know it's Mary and James and others, but they don't rule my life. There's something different when you become part of the family of God. This was the question. And then looking in verse 34 at those sitting around him, he made this statement. Here are my mother and my brothers. The people around me are my mother and my brothers. In other words, they're part of my family. They have just as right to be in my family because God loves them. God called me to preach the good news to them. God called me to encourage them. God called me to help heal them and to lift them up and to show them the good news that's going to come. They're part of my family too. Then he clarified this in verse 35. He said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And this is the deep theological statement that needs to drive the family of God and Christian families. We need to be those body of believers, family of God, who seeks to do the will of God. Not our own will, not somebody else's will, but the will of God. We need to seek to do the will of God with our loved ones in our own family. Being the kind of a Christian that serves, that encourages, that seeks to be like Christ in the family. And folks, that's part of a growing experience. We don't become that automatically. We allow Jesus to change our character, to change our outlook, to change the way we do things. We now seek to be different because we have this mind of Christ in us. And the mind of Christ teaches us how to be truly faithful and gives us our satisfaction in the power of the Holy Spirit to grow 
in the midst of all this craziness going around us. The world might think it's craziness, but it's not. It's the truth to seek the will of God. And when we seek the will of God in our family, at our own family, we also seek the will of God in our church family. We seek to be redemptive and loving and caring and encouraging and lifting up in our church family. Why? Because we're human. So we're rough around the corners. So some of us are considered or classified misfits. So some of us have had tough times in life. But Jesus loved them enough to die on the cross to save them from our, their sins. And we ought to love them enough to be servants and caring and kind and welcoming them into the church family. The church family here ought to be where we are human enough not trans, um, to be transparent, not hiding who we are, but human enough so that everyone recognizes that we're trying. One time I preached a message on the virtuous woman out of uh, uh, Mighty Mom, out of Proverbs 31. And a lady came up to me afterwards and said, I'm trying real hard. And I said, I thought to myself, well, it's through Jesus that we are human enough and, and, and we begin to grow. So the more we spend in the family of God, the more we learn how to grow deeper in our faith. The more we spend together with the family of God that really is redemptive, not judgmental, not based on a shame culture. You know, it's a shame to admit that you have a, a problem or you've got a family member that has a problem. It's, it's not based on a culture of putting on a face, a facade, a mask that people think to, that you're putting out there to, to have this great, wonderful picture of you. It's being human, being understanding that we are sinners in the need of grace of Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross for us. And through him, he can take that sin, defeat it, and begin to teach us step by step how to be faithful servants of Jesus. And you would know that transforms the church family and it transforms our human family. Think about it. When a child sees their father on his knees praying that God might give him direction. Or a child sees their mother attending church and praying, and their father attending church and praying and saying, you know what? There are a lot of things out in this world, but what really matters for time and eternity is our walk with Jesus Christ. In a church where I was preaching, uh, my two sons showed up, and after the service was over, um, we were talking with a couple of people and the, my boys got ready to go. And I said, I said to David, I love you, David. And I said to Daniel, I love you, Daniel. Because we, we do that when we part. We, we assure each other that we tell each other we love them. And this gentleman standing there literally broke down and started to cry. And he said, my father never told me that he loved me. Jesus tells us, the very act of Jesus dying on the cross is, is a testimony every day that he loves us. Why don't we tell each other that we love each other? 
Now, I'm not talking about the way the world thinks of love. We could say you love peanut butter and you love all kinds of other things. But we're talking about deep Christian faith and love where God loved us so much that Jesus died on the cross and we begin to love each other so much that we're willing to be honest, that we're human, we make mistakes, we sin, but we can come to the Lord Jesus, ask him to forgive us. He forgives us and he helps us to go beyond that sin, to get the victory over that sin and then go beyond it to be faithful. And we can say to each other, in Jesus Christ, I love you. Now, there should be people sitting over here that didn't care for the people over here, vice versa. And that's not what a church family ought to be. A church family ought to be in a place where we accept people unconditionally. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do tough love. But we know that Jesus died on the cross for them, and we're going to be able to begin to teach them and care for them and help them become part of the family of God. Paul picked up on this. And I want to read what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. And he's talking about being pulled apart by the flesh and the sinfulness that we have. And in Romans 8 verse 12, Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he said this, and I think he, he's remembering Jesus' words here. In verse 14, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons or God's children. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, which means Father, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, the family of the church, the church family has such a glory coming the glorified Jesus. I really think that church members are going to stand at the judgment seat of God and, and give an account for what they did in the church, in their family, the church family. It's not in the Bible. I can't prove it. We like to individualize so many things. Oh, it's just me, me, mano a mano to God. But I think God wants us to understand that we're together as a church family. That's why we do a couple of things. One, we invite people to come to be part of the church family. And two, we get together and worship and make that an essential thing. If we want to be an essential church, we have to have a church family that makes people feel at home with God's people. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. I'm not quite sure what it is. Let's see. When we all get to heaven, that's right, you changed it. Let's stand as the musicians come. But when we sing this song, let's remember this thing. It's not when I get to heaven. Realize it's saying when we all get to heaven. We are part of God's family here, and one day we're going to be with him there. But if you're not part of a church family and you're looking for a church family that can help you grow, accept you as you are, 
and come together with, with each one of us to show, Christ the, show the world the love that Christ has given to us. And we encourage you to come and join our church. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to find out what that means to become a Christian, we want to share that with you. Whatever God's leading in your heart to do, will you come as we have this invitation when we all get to heaven? Let's sing.